That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Broadcasting from the west coast of the Golden State, the nation's most straightforward recovery talk show, That Sober Guy podcast, helping to keep your brain sharp and your blood clean. And now, Shane Raymer. Welcome to That Sober Guy podcast. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in today. We have Mags Shores joining the show today from SoberCourage.com. Mags and I got in touch after she wrote a very nice article about the top five podcasts she listened to, and she happened to mention that Sober Guy podcast. We got in touch, and she joins us today and shares some of her story and a little bit about SoberCourage.com. Uh, but first, let's get a word in from our sponsor, Sober Nation. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well as to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which is fucking fresh, by the way, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.SoberNation.com. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. This episode's also brought to you by That Sober Guy Meetings. Go to ThatSoberGuy.com, click on the Live Meetings tab, register for the next Sunday morning live online recovery support group meeting. All right, we're on day 10 of the 14 days to building self-esteem this week, so we're going to cover that. If you're new to the 14 days to building self-esteem, if you go back to episode 50, you can start there. And what we do is a quick little exercise, just takes a couple of minutes. And uh, we start, we started on day one, and then we do one episode per week. And this episode, we're on day 10. So here's day 10. I will accept every problem or difficulty as a challenge to my awareness, but will not demand perfection in myself or others. I will use my life as a vehicle for awakening, seeing suffering as a teacher rather than as an enemy. I will be as involved as I can be in my life's work, but not get attached to the outcome because that creates suffering for myself and others. Today's meditation. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. If you're out there and you're new and you don't know the serenity prayer yet, this thing will save you from shit, anything, everything, a bad day, a great day. It doesn't matter. The serenity prayer is one of the best tools that you can use. So I would highly recommend uh, to, to learn that and use it when you need it. Let's say it again. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. If you're struggling out there with the God thing, I know a lot of people do, just leave the God out. It's fine. Um, Just grant me the serenity. Today's exercise. List the suffering I'm experiencing and what I'm learning from this. If I cannot find a reason, I'll say the serenity meditation again and let go. That's a good exercise. List the suffering I'm experiencing and what I'm learning from this. If I cannot find the reason, I will say the serenity meditation again and let go. I'll tell you one thing I'm suffering from right now, and it's time. I'm feeling overwhelmed with not not being enough time in the day to get the things done that I want and need to get done. So I'm going to 
take a stand right now, even though I'm sitting down, I'm not going to stand up, but I'm going to say that I'm going to take a stand in, uh, what is that? A metaphor? Is that a metaphor? Something like that. And I'm going to say the serenity prayer when I start feeling uh, stressed out and I start feeling like overwhelmed and a little bit of anxiety because I have things I need to get done and how am I going to get them done? I'm going to stop. I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to say the serenity prayer from this moment moving forward. What works for you? Find something that works for you. Maybe it's a serenity prayer. Maybe it's something else. Today, I will remember. I cannot solve nor understand all the world's problems, but if I am patient and open, maybe I can learn from them. That's a damn good point. We're going to get into Mag Shores here in just a moment. I want to uh, talk about a couple of homies of mine from the Share Podcast, Omar Pinto, and Paul Churchill from the Recovery Elevator. These are two podcasts that are affiliated with That Sober Guy Podcast and SoberNation.com. And what we're doing here is we're getting these lined up for you so that way you can have three new podcasts and three new episodes each week. On Monday, Paul Churchill from The Recovery Elevator comes out with a new episode. On Tuesday, Omar from The Share Podcast comes out with a new episode. And us here at That Sober Guy Podcast comes out with a new episode on Friday. So you can have three podcast episodes lined up each week to help fight addiction and alcoholism and get some things, get some thoughts running through your brain that's going to help to keep you sober and happy and healthy and positive during that week. So make sure you check those guys out. They got some great content on there. Now, next up, I love Mag's Shores. All right, welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking with Mags Shores from SoberCourage.com. Mags, how are you doing today? Good, how are you, Shane? I'm doing well. Thank you for taking the time to come on in our madness of crazy scheduled lives with kids and works and or work and jobs and blogs and podcasts. I know sometimes it can be complete madness, but I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on and talk with us today. Sure, sure. My my pleasure, and uh, I always can fit some time in to talk about recovery because, you know, I live it every day, so it, it's all just one big, well, daily thing, really, for me, so... So let's let's kind of jump in real quick on kind of how we be, how we contact or how we became uh, or how we got in contact with each other. Um, you do you do at uh, sobercourage dot com. You do Friday right. night pep talks, and you had written yes. an article called Recovery Podcasts and Music Radio, where you so generously mentioned that sober guy podcast that that you listened to it yeah, and you put it in the blog, which I thought was awesome. So thank you for that. You're welcome, welcome. And uh, and and what a cool thing, you know. You do it on Fridays. Um, you explain a little bit about it on the blog, and maybe maybe you can kind of take it away and uh, and elaborate on that a little more. Yeah. Um, well, Friday night prep talk came about because I had the worst time trying to stay sober on Fridays. Um, it was usually my favorite drinking day. Although now that I look back, you know, any day was a favorite drinking day. Um, <laughs> but. Um, when, you know, in the time that I thought I still didn't have a problem, Friday was the night where I could go out with people and, you know, get totally wasted and no one would ask me anything or, you know, judge my drinking because that's what everybody else did. So it was like, um, you know, ingrained in me, like Friday was the night that I was just going to let, let it go and whatever happened. So when I was getting sober, I had that, those feelings still, like I would get off work and, you know, I would just 
the antsiness and the nerves and everything just were, were crazy. And, you know, what do you do with yourself? You know, and when I was getting sober, I didn't really have any friends. Um, I didn't talk to my family. Um, I lived by myself, and I was pretty much just trying to stay sober. And, you know, white-knuckling it was just horrendous and just really, really hard to do. And I had to start figuring out how I was going to do this. And so uh, that's how the pep talks came about. You know, my blog is basically focused on early recovery. That's uh, where I like to write about because... I think there's so many people out there, you know, they want to get sober. They don't know where to start. Um, you know, I was lucky in the sense that I came into the rooms with court order. So I kind of knew that there was options. But I think a lot of people don't really know there are options out there. So that's my blog's focus is on, okay, here, I want to get sober what I do. And so Friday Night Pep Talks was... um you know, basically trying to figure out what to do with that time. You're home, you're alone. You probably don't have any friends. You probably alienated a lot of people. You can't really go out. You know, you don't have any money. What do you do now? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's you where do? I was, right? That's exactly where I was. And uh, one of the first things I think I did was I painted my apartment. Um, because, you know, you can buy a can of paint, at least around here, for like 13 bucks. You know, and it, I would put some music on and just start painting, you know, and then there was uh, movies. Then there was, you know, just learning how to maybe meditate or, um, you know, find something to do online. And so I started making these lists of things that you could do without a lot of money, without having to go somewhere, without having friends, unfortunately, because, you know, that was really hard for me to socialize without alcohol. And um, so that's how that came about. And I still love doing that for me now because I learn about new things that are out there and possible. And this is how I found your podcast and your website because, you know, I was searching for these things. So it, it also helps it. me in the end, as usual. <laughs> I would get some benefit too, so... Yeah, that's yeah. no. It's so it's so great, and I love that you've you've kind of made it a series. And just to read, I'm going to read a couple of them off just for the listeners, and you can go to sobercourage.com and check out the Friday night pep talks tab there. Meditation for recovery, so uh, sober motivation, sober movie night, uh, Re- recovery network connections, a hundred fun things to do sober, thirteen essentials for quitting drinking. I mean, so you, and the list goes on. So I mean, you, you have plenty of them on there. There's plenty of different topics for people to really dial into. Uh, and and kind of kind of look at the other alternatives to just going out and getting fucking hammered on a Friday night and waking up right. not knowing what you did and feeling like dog shit. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> exactly. And instead, you know, you wake up the next day, go, "Wow, I actually did something without drinking." You yeah. know, and little by little, you start picking up these tools, and they really help along. You know, um, and you know the one hundred the one hundred list is. It's crazy. It took me forever to put it together. Um, and I, I found, again, you know, I found a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't even know existed on the Internet that you could do. And, know, um, you it's, know, that's crazy. You put together a hundred things. Cause I think back to when I was drinking, I couldn't think of one thing to do that was fun. Sober. Nothing was right, fun. Sober. Right. The only fun was Nothing. drunk or high or whatever, you know? Right. And so, you know, I always do mention that, you know, some, some of these things might not, seem appealing or none of these things might seem appealing but it's like you know you got to start somewhere something little do something 
different one time. And it, like, grows, you know. And I think there's one part where um, I write about, like, you know, I use my children and things all the time. But I watch them grow, you know, learning how to walk and how long it takes for them to get up and start walking. And it's the same sort of thing. You know, I compare to, like, we have to learn these new things. And the first time, it's really hard. And you're like, ah, this is really stupid. I really don't want to, you know, make a, I don't know, a... I don't really want to bake cupcakes, you know, and then you do one batch and you're like, well, that tastes really good. And then you do it again. And, it, you know, it's a process just like anything else, you know, you learn in life. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And just that continue learning process. And then I think when you do that, too, you really start learning about, well, let me speak for myself. When I do things like that, I start learning more about myself. And it doesn't matter how much, like I'm two years into my sobriety, I'm learning something new damn near every day about myself, you know, and constantly changing and and learning and stuff, too. So I think that's a really good point. Let's uh, let's kind of transition into this now, Megs. Um, Let's talk about that that first or final Actually, yeah, final moment that kind of hits you when 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 that light bulb maybe went off and you were just like, I can't I can't do this anymore. Like I'm I'm done. I need help. Um, well, I think I had a lot of like bottoms, but um, you know, because uh, I lost my child at one point. Um, I was custody of my child. Sorry. Um, you know, I was in jail for DUI. I was in rehab. I was at many times at the local hospital for detox, and for some reason, none of those things. You know, they, they were temporary. Temporarily in my head, I was like, okay, this has to be the end. But, um, you know, it, I read often about the craziness of addiction and alcohol, the, the, the thinking behind it. And I think that's really what got me my last, last night because, um, you know, my last drunk, uh, was nothing I, um, you know, planned. I basically it was a Friday night. <laughs> Figure, right? It was Friday night. It was a beautiful spring day. It was in April. The sun was shining. I sort of had that, again, uncomfortableness. Um, I thought, okay, I'll just, you know, go to the store, get something really good to eat. That was my plan. I was, you know, I was constantly trying to figure out how to do this thing sober. So I went to the store to get, you know, a steak and some of my favorite foods, you know, some cheese and stuff. And, you know, I'm crossing the wine aisle you know, the beer and wine aisle, and, you know, I just go to the other side, and I kind of look back, and, you know, without even a split second, I thought about this over and over. There was no stopping point where I said, oh, this is crazy. Why am I here? I literally just reached over and grabbed a bottle, you know, and then then the the wheels started turning. Oh, well, one's not enough. That's not even a dent in my joking. You know, I'll get two. Well, two looks (laughs) too crazy because then I might have a problem. So, Maybe I'll get more food. So I went and got more food, came back to the aisle, and I thought, well, now I can get more alcohol. I mean, the process was crazy, you know, and I put the bottles back, grabbed the box. So now I have, like, three steaks and, you know, cheese and all this stuff and a box of wine, and I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to drink this much, I don't want to have to come out of the house at any point, so I'm just going to get another box of wine. You know, and, and just like that, I'm driving home. There's no thought going between that time to getting home, which was maybe five minutes of, well, maybe this is the wrong thing. No, my thought was already, you know, I'm getting home and I'm getting drunk. And, um, you know, I put the steak, I get home, I put the steak in the pan and, you know, I open my wine and I'm, my thought for a second, I remember thinking, I'm just maybe going to have one or maybe two, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll make sure I stop at some point. And, um, 
you know, I don't really remember the rest. And, the, you know, I woke up in the morning, and um, it was Monday morning, and um, I was in the bathtub the whole entire time. And um, I didn't realize even what day it was till I heard my phone beeping because the battery died. And, you know, all I could see was the time and the date on it. And it said Monday. Uh, and, you know, I pretty much freaked out. And I was laying flat on the kitchen floor with the phone next to me and boxes of wine. The steak was still in the pan, um, you know, and I literally freaked out. I mean, I came and explained exactly what went on in, at that moment. But, you know, it was everything I've read about, you know, in 12-step literature about that that crazy moment where, you know, it just takes over. And... um that was the first time ever I completely understood that I had no control over this thing at all. None whatsoever. As soon as I put alcohol in my body, it's like a completely different world. It it just it's it's crazy. And um you know, I had this split second moment where I thought, Well, you know, I had two choices. I either just keep drinking and die, you know, or this is it. There was that split moment. And um it freaked me out because I didn't want to die. You know, I didn't want to die. I didn't want to. I had a four-year-old daughter um, who I just got custody back of, actually. And um, it freaked me out. And, uh, you know, my mother was an alcoholic. Maybe you don't know, but my mother was an alcoholic. And I saw myself, like, you know, my, my daughter all of a sudden being me in the same place I was at four years old. And it completely freaked me out and so you know I made a couple of phone calls and I was back at a you know at a meeting within an hour and um that was it I mean I hope that's it forever you know but uh right now it's always been one year at a time I mean sorry one day at a time and I'm coming up on uh seven and a half years so um it's it's a miracle still I still have to you know constantly be diligent about my recovery because I'm scared of that, that moment where my brain just goes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Congrats on the, on, you know, over seven years. That's, that's, uh, that's great coming, coming out of something like that too. Mike, um, how was the steak? Was the steak burned pretty bad? Yes, it was burned, but you know, <laughs> I must have somehow turned it off at some point. You know, I didn't burn the place down, which is another miracle. I mean, it's just crazy right yeah. there. I don't know. If, I thought maybe it was done, actually, and I did turn the stove off. But, you know, the curtains were shot. The house was in shambles. You know, all the crazy stuff that, you know, you do. Um, I guess when, well, at least I did when I was drinking. Um, I would, I always went into blackouts and I had to try to piece together, you know, days. And But this was the longest blackout I ever had, you know, three days pretty much or, you know, two and a half, I guess, without actually remember any, remembering anything. And, of course, I made phone calls and I, I actually apparently went back to the store at some point because I found receipts. Um, wow. And I, I actually, I, I don't know if I drove or walked, um, I had, there was a Seven Eleven, which is like a convenience store around here, right by my apartment building. I hope I walked. I don't know, but the whole, you know, the whole thing. It's just so scary to not know what you did, you know, in that period of time. And 
you know, I was all beat up. Like my body, I, I had a swollen elbow. I had bruises all over me. I'm, you know, I was in the same clothes that I was wearing Friday and I don't even, you know, my face was swollen. It was, it was even not me. I don't think it was, you know, it's so hard to explain that well, no, place. I, yeah. And I, I, it's, <laughs> you're leaving me speechless here, Max. Come on now. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm trying to process this cause I'm so, I'm kind of encased in this little, this little story that's going on in my head. Cause I'm like picturing you like in the store and then I'm picturing you like on autopilot almost because you haven't, yeah. you know, you, you're something takes over and literally, um, drives you to, you know, to, to this place in other words. And I, I found it, I found it interesting too, how you said when you get home, you know, you, you kind of, you justify it by, well, I'm just going to have one drink or I'm just going to, maybe I'll have two drinks. And how many of us out there have said that before? You know, I'm just going to have one. And it's like, you know, we all know us alcoholics. We don't just drink one. We don't, there's, that's not in our book, you know? So just, just that door, you know, opening up as soon as it starts to go, boom, I mean, it's on and look, you, you know, you experienced a two and a half, three day blackout from one drink. So the severity of that, of that, um, you know, that autopilot, I think that's why it's so scary too, because is when I hear you tell that story, it's like, it's just something that it's almost, like you said, it's almost not you, if that makes sense. Right. It's really hard to put into words, but, uh, I know for a fact for me that to this day I have to stay away from places that have alcohol. If I don't have to be somewhere, I don't, I don't go. And I have, you know, at this point, you know, in recovery, I have no problem saying no and, and declining. Uh, there was a period where I was really struggling with it, but, um, you know, that day freaked me out so bad that for a long time, I didn't go to any store that sold alcohol. And we had the Target here did not sell alcohol. I don't know if you guys have Target in California. I'm assuming you do. Oh, yeah. It's probably everywhere. But there was a point where Target didn't sell alcohol around here. And that's the only place I went. Everything I bought that I owned was from Target. And then <laughs> I was really disappointed because they finally started selling alcohol. <laughs> you know, but it, yeah. I was like, ah. Oh. And I recently laughed because I went in there and they moved the wine aisle next to the coffee aisle. I mean, who does oh, that? Man, that's Don't you know? No. Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> Gosh, yeah, that's. Uh, I know they didn't. They didn't have uh, beer and wine in Target for the longest time, and that, I think that was. I mean, that's just been in the last maybe couple of years. I think too that th- that they yeah. uh, actually started doing that. Um, yeah. So let 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 me ask you this. For there's a lot there's a lot of listeners out there that I'm sure that might be early on in their recovery and and um, and maybe even in their first thirty days. Tell us tell us kind of what the first thirty days looked like for you and and some of the things that you that you had to do and sacrifice to really stay on that path uh, to staying sober. Right. Um, well, like I said, I um, you know I I uh, went to twelve step meetings and I got sponsored. And, um, that was the main part. Um, the other part was of, of course, uh, you know, I didn't go to any place that sold alcohol. I didn't, um, go any stores. I didn't, uh, socialize with any people that drank. I, you know, I literally, well, I would like to say I cut them off, but they were <laughs> all my friends that used to drink. They were no longer, you know, they were no longer around anyway. So, um, 
and I was lonely, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of stuff I had to learn. I, you know, I was socially awkward because you know alcohol was my buffer. You know, I thought I was this great party girl, outgoing, and I could talk to anybody. You know, you, you take that away, yeah. and I could sit in a corner all day long and stare yeah. at the wall. You know, and so um, I remember going to meetings. I went to tons of meetings, like anytime I could. Um, I filled my days, you know, I worked extra at work. I filled my days with anything I could. Um, you know, I did steps, I did literature. Um, and you know, I realized that I needed people around me because having people around me helped me, uh, be accountable, you know, and checking in with people. And I, besides my sponsor, I had a couple other women. Um, and oh, I only went to women's meetings for the longest time and I only hung out with women because, you know, well, for a lot of us, I think the opposite sex is also an issue while we're drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so that was yeah. a, that was a huge part for me. So I said, I only connected with women and I had, you know, I had a couple, uh, friends that I would have times that I would literally call them, you know, like 9am, 12 noon, 3pm. 9 p.m., you know, bedtime, just to say, I'm here, you know, I'm sober. Um, so, so you stayed on accountable. A, you stayed on a pretty tight, tight schedule. It was really tight. I was so petrified because this wasn't my, you know, only uh, last drunk. I mean, this was my last drunk as of now, thank God. But it took me about four years to get to that point of relapsing over and over. I would have three months, two months. I once hit six months, um, but I was always coming back and there was something that I was missing. And people kept telling me there's something you're missing. You know, um, I do know that, you know, finding a higher power was huge part that I think I was definitely missing. And because, you know, um, in the end, when there's no one around and there's no meeting and there's no nothing to do and, and it's just you and the bottle in front of you, I truly believe that the only thing between me and that bottle is my higher power. And I'm not a religious person. I never followed any religion. My first higher power was a oak tree outside my apartment. Um, you know, it's evolved into other things now, but... Um, that was huge. That was huge for me to realize that, you know, there, for me, it had to be something else in between because that last drunk, it was so easy that, I mean, the, my thinking just clicked in that other direction so quickly. You know, how do I make it slower? What do I put in between me and that bottle when it happens again? You know, and I can't say it was just a clean slate. I just did all these things and I never wanted to drink again. I wanted to drink every day for, months, you know, but I think what really happened that day was that I was fully 100% determined that no matter what, I was not going to drink. You know, the sky could be falling. I'm not going to drink. And I think that was a huge change for me because before it was like, well, maybe, you know, I'll kind of do it this way and maybe I'll kind of do it that way. And, you know, what's wrong with going to a store I mean, if I'm not going to walk down the aisle, I should be okay. You know, there was always some part of me that was kind of maybe questioning it or, you know, I guess 
I didn't want to feel like I was weak. Am I that weak that I can't walk through a wine aisle and not pick up a, a bottle? You, you know? Well, yeah. And it's not personal weakness. It's the addiction. You know, I don't see me personally being a weak person, but my addiction is what makes that weakness. You know, and I, I just couldn't afford it. To me, it was like I, I was done. You know, I just couldn't afford I couldn't chance it. Well, and think- even now, like I said... You know, I don't. I I try not to be around alcohol if I don't have to. So, I think you bring up a good point in the fact that you you basically really wanted it, and that's that's really what it takes because it's real cut and dry when you look at it from this perspective. I either want to be sober or I don't. And right. you know, like like you were saying, you can sit and make excuses all day long about why you can't go to a store or why, why shouldn't I go to this wedding or why can't I go, you know, hang with this friend? Um, you know, I should be able to do that. It's, you know, self, um, or, or willpower alone. But unfortunately for many of us, I just doesn't, it doesn't work because the, the addiction of it is so heavy and it's, it's very difficult to understand, especially when you're in the trenches of it like that. Um, but when, when we want it, just like you wanted it bad enough at that point, you know, uh, obviously it took sounds like several um, or multiple relapses before eventually you finally couldn't take it anymore. Um, I, I'd like to really have you kind of talk about what your recovery program looks like today after coming out of that. Uh, what are some of the things that you do on a, on a daily basis? Um, and, and what are some of the things that, that maybe you could share with the listeners out there that may be able to help them? Um, well, um, I've always done the 12 step program and I've always been really involved in it. And that means also socializing, you know, before and after getting involved in the, you know, we have a really big community here. So there's picnics and dances and, you know, try that, that, that whole social part. Once I got past, you know, just trying to stay sober. Cause I think for the first year, I literally just, try to stay sober. That was it. And my, my goal was to stay sober. And, uh, you know, after that, I was able to start growing as a person in, in recovery and a sober person and, you know, learning more stuff. Um, so I've always been really close to, um, the 12 step program today. Um, you know, my recovery looks a little different. I'm kind of venturing out into the online world, realizing that it's a very powerful tool. Um, and it actually allows me to talk to someone in recovery every day. And I still live recovery every day. And I, I hear this quite often, actually. People say, well, I, I didn't get sober to just be sober, or I didn't get sober to live recovery. You know, there's other things in life. And there are. You know, don't get me wrong. I got I got married. I went back to school. I, I have a career, which is really crazy. I can't believe I have a career. <laughs> You know, um, and I have three kids, which, you know, I was even crazier. That's even crazier. Even crazier because I was definitely the one going, you know, uh, kids are not for me. Why do you have your kids in this restaurant and, you know, take your (laughs) screaming brat out the door? You know, I was like, no, kids, uh uh. And now I have three. So, yeah, it's kind of insane. But, um, I think the big part for me, recovery is really, um, reaching out and helping others. No, I think that's always been the biggest, the biggest help for me in any situation. And the other thing that I learned early on is calling people, which I used to hate. You know, they call it the 50-pound phone. 
And because um, I'm just, I'm really bad on the phone, I think. I don't know what it is. But that tilt, you know, that has helped me forever. And building that network. So then again, when I am alone, and even though I have my higher power, you know, I can always call someone. And, you know, it's happened to me several times. Um, I Last year recently, if I may, little story, I took my kids to Great Wolf Lodge, which is this, this um, resort here in Williamsburg, Virginia. And it was summertime, and we went outside to the pool, and it was a pool bar in the adult area of the pool. Okay, the rest of the pool is like four feet, and then there's this area with the pool. The pool is right by the bar. And the big sign says, $5 whiskey shop. <laughs> I'm going... I don't even like whiskey, but uh-huh. I like that sign. You know, and here I am, like seven years sober, going, what the yeah. hell is going on in my brain? And I'm thinking, oh, the best part about this part, they give you bracelets. So your credit card information is on your bracelet. So you just whip out your hand, and they scan it. And I'm thinking, kids are over there playing. I go up to the boss, scan my little hand ten times, you know, because one ain't enough. This is all going on in my head. Yeah. So what do I do? I'm starting freaking out. I send out like 10 texts, one after another, to 10 different people. And within, you know, a few minutes, I got at least three answers. You know, that's the kind of stuff. That's that's what saved me to this day, having those people. And it doesn't matter what the people say. It just matters that my brain starts going a different direction. You know, because that's where it all starts. It's all in my head still. And, you know, within a few minutes, I was like, okay, done it's over with yeah that craving that craving passes after a couple of minutes yes and the crazy passes and i'm like oh well that was really insane you know and i'm okay and i think that has been crucial from the very beginning i had lists of people that i could you know call or text from the beginning and i know it's hard because i was you know really sober it was really hard for me to talk to anybody without alcohol in my body and it was really hard to pick up that phone and call. But, you know, again, if you are ready to get sober and you mean, you know, business 100%, it just, you're pretty much willing to do whatever to save yourself. And that's, you know, that's what happened to me. Yeah, that's a that's a great tip too, Max. Just having that, that support group, obviously, but setting yourself up with those numbers in your phone or... um or, you know, that way you can text, you can call when you get those moments. Because, I mean, take take Mags, for example, right there. She has seven years, and those thoughts, they still manifest in, in the right situation. They happen yeah. to me. They happen to um, many people that I talk to after, you know, 10-plus years of sobriety. So right. uh, it's really important to, to kind of get that safety net almost set up beforehand and think about that. Expect it. Be ready for it. And I think, uh, Mags, you'd probably agree to this, too, is we can't feel... I think many of us might might tend to feel guilty about having those thoughts like oh my god what's happening like I'm I shouldn't be having these thoughts that's not the case those thoughts yeah. are going to happen and we need to learn to accept accept them and learn that they're going to come in and that they're okay it's okay to acknowledge them you know do what do what needs to be done to to let that craving pass and then move on we don't beat ourselves up after it we we understand that it that it that it happens and uh, like I said learn to expect it and then and then we move on Right, 
Right. I mean, nobody texted me back and went like, what are you, crazy? You got seven years. Why yeah. are you thinking that way? <laughs> Not a single person. I mean, it just it doesn't happen. We've all had those moments. But you're very right. I mean, I think the first time it happened to me like that, out of the blue, I was maybe two years sober or something, like completely out of the blue. And yeah, I was petrified to tell someone, you know, yeah. gosh, I'm having those dirty thoughts again. But um, again, you know, I just try to do what what I know, you know, at least at some point, you know, I've learned that if I don't do this, the other will happen. And I don't want that to happen. So hopefully I'll keep on that track and hopefully, you know, if, if whoever's listening is new in recovery, you know, that's a really, really good tool to have. Yeah, thank thank you for sharing that too. There's a bunch of good tools in there that's that you said. So uh, I would uh, I would encourage the listeners if uh, if they get a chance, to even play it back and listen to that again because you can really start to fill up that toolbox with with some different ways to kind of combat this. Um, Mags, let's move into sober courage. Let's talk a little bit about that. How did you start it, and uh, how's how's everything going with that? And are you working on any new new projects right now? Um, well, sober courage is about two years old and. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, my focus is on uh, early recovery or early sobriety since I'm uh, basically an alcoholic, which I know it sounds strange, but I never dabbled in, in drugs for some reason. I guess alcohol just did it all for me. Um, so it is probably more geared to, you know, alcohol and alcoholism. Um, but um, the idea was... Uh, you know, my little tagline from liquid courage to sober courage, because, uh, you know, I used to think I could rule the world because, you know, the little alcohol in my body, I felt really confident. You know, I was the party girl. I kept up everybody all night long. I was the one ordering most shots. You know, I was, you know, all these other things. Um, but when all that was gone, you know, I couldn't function in society pretty much. I mean, I couldn't, say my name to somebody. Um, and so that's how the name kind of stems from that. So I'm still learning, you know, I'm still myself learning the sober courage because um, I still have moments like, oh my God, I just can't do that, you know, but it's getting it's, it's getting better, obviously. So that's that part. Um, the other part of it is, you know, I, um, I had a blog before that was anonymous. And so this blog... I made an effort to not be anonymous. And I think, um, for me personally, putting the face together with a story, someone's recovery story or someone's struggle story, makes it so much um, uh, more personal, closer, you know. And um, it also did something really big for me. Um, I struggled with the stigma for a really, really long time. Um, like I mentioned, my, my mom was an alcoholic, my family disowned her. Um, I don't know to this day where she is. Uh, I don't even know if she's alive. There was always really negative talk about her. And um, so I grew up that way. You know, I grew up believing that those were the scums of the world, you know. And um, it was really hard for me to come out of it. So I figured by coming uh, open and dropping my anonymity, it would help me and hopefully it will help others. You know, there's my, the huge, the big part is always to help others. I, I seem to get a lot of benefit too, which is, a, a, you know, an amazing part. But, um, because I became a not, a not, um, not anonymous open, 
I've also met a whole bunch of people that uh, recover out loud right now. And um, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about the rally in D.C., but, yeah, that's you know, right. I, you just you just did uh, you attended the Unite rally. That's right because you're you're actually in uh, D.C. So you didn't have to travel far for that, huh? Right. Got it. So <laughs> I yeah, I, I would love I would love to hear a little bit about that. I'm sure the listeners would too. Um, let's let's uh, talk about that. Yeah. So a big part of uh, the fact that I you know decided to recover out loud is I met a lot of people online who are also open about their recovery and. Um, so then there was this rally organized by Unite the Faith Addiction, um, and Greg Williams, who was the producer of uh, the Anonymous People movie. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but it is on the website, um, and I think you can stream it on Netflix for free right now. Oh, but, nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the movement basically is... Um, trying to show people that recovery works and that people um, in recovery are all around us. You know, there's an estimated 23 million people in recovery in the United States. Um, But for many reasons, a lot of us don't speak out about it. You know, I think for me personally, it's definitely a stigma. And, um, you know, so there was a lot of um, speakers, very... uh, profound speakers, um, which I can't remember everybody's names right now, of course, but um, uh, I guess the movement basically is about being open about addiction and about um, alcoholism and about recovery and also changing the way the government treats, well, not government, the health system treats recovery. Um, As an example, a regular treatment an insurance pays only for, I think, 13 days now for heroin withdrawal treatment, detox, for 13 days. That's all they'll pay for. That's not, even enough, to, that's not even enough to wake up. They sleep for 13 yeah. days. <laughs> right. So right? there's a lot of, you know, there was a lot of agenda on this thing, and I'm not quite sure if it all fit together. I think, yeah. I think for most part, it was about, um, you know, showing up and, Letting people know that we, you know, we exist, that we're here, and that we need help, that addicts need help not to be criminalized, and that recovery works. So it was, it was a very interesting event. Um, How many people? Um, they said estimated 30,000. Wow. That's a lot of so people. I think for, yeah, I think for a first event, and um, I think there's going to be another one next year maybe. You know, that's a pretty good number. And, of course, you know, they had musicians who are in recovery. They had Steven Tyler and um, Cheryl Crow, Joe Walsh, and um, the Google Dolls. And I believe maybe a couple more bands that I just can't remember right now. And, um, you know, a whole bunch of sponsors. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was a really, really moving event. We're kind of not sure where it's going to go and what the actual, out, you know, what the actual, what it was supposed to actually do. I think everybody kind of had a different agenda. Yeah, there's but, a lot, um, of, lot of, lot of different people, a lot of different uh, sponsors, acts, all kinds of different things involved. So I'm sure that something on that scale. Um, especially for the first time, you know, there, there's probably going to be some, some different little kinks and stuff that need to be worked out. But I, I would agree that the, the, um, 
you know, the, the ultimate foundation of what, what, uh, Unite represents is, is a great, a great thing. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's about time, you know, that we, we do drop the stigma, at least for myself. I have to, you know, I have to say for myself, because, uh, even going to a 12 step program, you know, was really, really hard to walk through that door, even though knowing that all the other people there were just like me, it was still really hard to walk through that door. And, you know, it's, it's like, um, you know, I have a sickness, I have a disease, you know, I should be able to just go to a doctor and say, I have this disease, but yet I can't even, you know, I wasn't even able to go to my doctor and say, I, you know, I'm an alcoholic, help me. And some of the doctors are not even helpful. I remember being pregnant with my daughter and, um, you know, unfortunately I drank, uh, beginning of my pregnancy because I was drinking, so I didn't know I was pregnant, but you know, and the first thing that came out of my mouth, I actually said, you know, this is how much I've been drinking for the last two months. And he said, okay, thanks. I'll put this in your notes. And I remember that vividly. You know, that's all this man said to me. And, you know, so I think overall, I don't think, you know, we know enough or everybody's educated enough about the, the addiction and alcoholism. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you too on on the stigma part about it. Um, that's that's part of the reason that I, you know, came out with with the podcast and with with every you know the meetings and that kind of thing because I agree with you. Um, I don't think the I understand the anonymity part for for other people with respect to other you know people might not want people to know you know and I and I totally one hundred. Right percent respect that. And, um, you know, I, I always honor that, but when we're talking about myself, when I'm talking about me, I don't think that it benefits me, um, to act like, you know, I need to hide this, you know? And, 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 and so that, that's kind of why I I got tired of hiding stuff. That's all I did was hide stuff, you know, towards the end of, of my addiction. And, um, when I was still drinking and I was so tired of that. So for me to go into recovery and still kind of act like I need to keep this a secret, it just wasn't working for me. And so that was part of the reason. And it sounds like, um, as well as for you, why, why you started sober courage and kind of came out as well as why I started the podcast, uh, that sober guy and kind of came out w- with that too. Yes, definitely. I, I felt like I was living double life, you know, yeah, for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so tell us real quick, um, real quick before before we get into where we can find you at, how a Polish family has dinner. What do you drink at dinner with a Polish family? Because you are Polish, right? I am Polish, and I'm you know, I am Polish, and we have the rep, and uh, you know, I was very proud of my rep at one point. You know, I, that that was my thing. I would tell everybody, I'm Polish. You know, I can out drink you. So. <laughs> But po- um, Polish don't drink Coke at dinner, according, according no, to your family. No, we don't drink Coke. It's either coffee or, you know, a vodka or, or beer, actually. They drink <laughs> a lot of beer now. But, uh, you know, I don't really know what is drank there now. But, you know, my family, actually, I didn't even ask them. I'm very grateful, but they don't drink around me anymore. I mean, occasionally my dad will have a beer. But um, I know when I went back to visit, and it was um, quite a while ago, it was 96, um, there was always, you know, there was always, I wasn't sober yet, but I remember the vodka just sitting there on the table and, you know, all day long, it was warm or it was, you know, it just sat there and I thought, wow, how this is so cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was still drinking, you know, obviously. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, um, I went to visit for like a month and, and, um, 
I fit right in. I fit right in perfectly. It, there's a lot of drinking. I mean, it's it's constant over there. So, well, Mags, I, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on the show. And 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 we were kind of talking before we. I have a lot of female listeners that listen to the show, and I feel like sometimes um, I'd like to have more um, more female. Um, addicts and alcoholics and people struggling and people recovering and all that kind of stuff just so just so it gives a little more um, a little more relevance from the female perspective because you know it's all the same in a sense but at the same time you know we're we're different men and, and women sometimes so I really appreciate yeah. you coming on and uh, and sharing some of your story and giving some of your opinions and advice where can folks find you at uh, if they'd like to get in touch with you Oh, uh, the website is uh, SoberCourage.com, and I'm SoberCourage all over the internet, on Twitter, Facebook. And be sure to check out Friday Night Pep Talks if you're feeling like you want to get out and get crazy one night. You can get dialed into some of that. Mags, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of That Sober Guy Podcast. For more information, visit www.thatsoberguy.com. Contact Shane at sobriety at thatsoberguy.com. And leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Peace, love, respect. Keep your blood clean.